0: Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Well, if you are new to Cross Lane today, or if you're a visitor with us, we want to welcome you and tell you thanks for being a part of, uh, of our family for the day. And um, I trust that you have been adequately greeted and made to feel at home, and, and if there's anything we can do to help you, you let us know. We are in a series called Faith and Hope, which is a five-part series. This is the last of the five, and uh, it's been quite a journey. We've learned a lot about what the difference between faith and hope is, and and, um, today I want to look at what is great faith? Extraordinary, huge, amazing faith. Whether you're a Christian or not, whatever your worldview is, there is a faith element here's what we all have in common all of us are trying to figure out how life works how it all integrates how it fits together and when you when you're young <laughs> you really don't care R- really when you're young all you're trying to figure out when you're young is how to make things work for you you know how can i get things to go my way and how can i make it work for me that's kind of where we we are as youngsters but as we get older we want a framework for things, and we want a, a, we want a framework in which it all begins to make sense for us. We want to be able to put the pieces together and, and kind of make some sense of it all. And in your worldview, there is an element of faith, unless you're an atheist. And I would say even if you're an atheist, there's some faith element to your quote-unquote belief system. If you believe in any kind of God or any kind of supernatural being, there is a faith element. And you, like me, are trying to figure out how it works in the real world. So that if something happened, we want to know why it happened. We want to be able to explain it. We want to know how to fit it all in. Does prayer matter? Does, does meditation matter? Does, does uh, consistency in my lifestyle, does that make any difference? Does that matter? Is it karma? What, what can I do? How can I harness this power or this force or whatever it is to get the world to cooperate with me? For all of us, there's this faith thing. You know, what What do I believe? And, and, and faith, is it about me? Is it about believing in myself? Or you might have been raised in a church that if you had enough faith, you could get God to do stuff. And maybe if you have enough faith, you could even get God to do stuff he hadn't even thought about doing yet. You know, like, like you could, that, that, that you might one day be able to pray. I th- you know, I think sometimes people would have us believe that we could, you know, dream up these things that we need God to do and pray those things. And God would up be up there stroking his chin, you know, going, you know, I hadn't thought about that but I think I'll do that because he's got so much faith. And we've all heard these stories of great faith, of healings and of miracles, and and you're thinking, you know, I want to have that kind of faith. I want want God to, you know, do for me what he does for them because of their great faith. And so today, as we wrap up this series, I want to talk about what does it look like to have incredible faith. I want to look at several verses today pertaining to Jesus and his faith and and how it was a reality and how it was lived out uh, in in his context. And then at the end of that, we're going to go look at some of the verses that you hear on uh, you hear television preachers use and you hear quoted in books sometimes. It's the ones that people love to say. It's the happy verses, you know. It's the ones that say, "If you believe, you will receive," and 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 if you just ask, you'll get it. And these are the the verse is, strangely enough, that Christians and non-Christians love to go to in an attempt to do something that, that to be real honest, just, it bothers me. It probably bothers you if you see it happen. It's hard to find a religion or a worldview or any kind of system about how to make the world work that doesn't try to somehow hijack the message of Jesus in the process. And as a Christian, I I just want to say to the gurus and the thought people and the philosophers and all that, hey, can't you make your system stand on its own without having to sprinkle Jesus into it? Um, You know, you want to say, just leave Jesus out of it. Here's what I mean. In Islam, you get some Jesus. With the Mormons, you get some Jesus. Modern philosophers want to use Jesus. You you go to any self-help book on the bookshelf at the bookstore and you'll find Jesus gets quoted a lot in those kinds of books. They'll go through the Bible and they'll find a verse like, if you believe, then you will receive and then they go, see, even Jesus believed that if you have enough faith, you can get what you want out of life. So there are all kinds of verses in the Bible that, if you rip them out of context, you can make them say just about anything. And the reason that modern-day philosophers do this, and you, you need to, you need to understand what's going on. And I'm sure you do. Eventually, your success is not what they're after. Okay, the, the modern-day philosopher is not really interested in your success. They want you to buy something. It's a marketing ploy. If they can get you uh, to. to you know, to get on board with their idea, then they're going to be able to make money somehow. And in America, if you start your book or your speech or your, you know, your blog or whatever it is that you've got, if you it off by saying, let's get one thing straight, Jesus was a fake, you know, he didn't even know what he was talking about, and the words of Jesus have nothing to do with real life, you're not going to sell many books if you start your book that way. You're not going to have many people who want to listen to your speech, especially in America, if you start your speech by saying something bad about Jesus, because in America, nobody's going to touch that or nobody's going to buy that. Not necessarily because they're great followers of Jesus, but in this country, Jesus enjoys a, a fair amount of respect. I mean, even people who don't follow Jesus, if they, you know, they, they might talk bad about the church, they might talk bad about Christians, you typically don't hear, hear too many people talking bad about Jesus, and so it doesn't make sense that anybody would say, "Well, you know, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about," because we all have respect for Jesus. Um, But but if someone can take the words of Jesus and blend it into their way of thinking, or their religion, or their philosophy, it gives them traction or leverage. But that's the problem. That's kind of the thing that that bothers me a little bit. Is when you read the words of Jesus, all of the words of Jesus not just the favorite ones, not just the magic ones, not just the the happy ones, but when you read all the words of Jesus, the whole story of Jesus, it becomes really, really clear. And what's clear is that he was a person of extraordinary faith, and yet his faith was not something that he ever leveraged to do something extraordinary on his own. And his faith wasn't something that he leveraged to get the world to work his way, which is something that we fall prey to many times. I think we It's easy for us to get to a place where we start thinking, you know, how can I get faith to, to, you know, be something that I can get God on board with my deal? And and it wasn't something that Jesus leveraged to get God to do his bidding. So this man of extraordinary faith was also a man who was extraordinarily surrendered to his father. That's what I want us to see today. And as you open the pages of Scripture, something's going to become astoundingly clear to you and to me, and that is great faith equals great surrender. Great faith equals great surrender. We said at the beginning of this whole thing that faith really is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. So if we really believe that and we fully embrace that, the logical response to believing that there is a God, that he knows my name, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, that he is so sovereign that he loves you and me, that he sent Jesus into the world to, to die for us and to pay for our sin, If you really believe that, the logical response is not to say, What can you do for me? I mean, I think God's done enough for us. The logical response is to say, How can I serve you? If this is true, if you've come to the world and you've died and you've you've gone to the cross to save me, then then the the logical question is, then then what now that you've done all that for me, what can I do for you? So when we open the Bible. You don't find Jesus leveraging his faith or his power for his sake or for his benefit. It's always for the sake of his father who is in heaven. So here's why I'm going on and on about that. Because as you try to figure out life and as you begin to, you know, pick a religion or a philosophy or spin the wheel, or you know, Mama said, or daddy said this, or you know, you read a cool book, or you heard some motivational speaker or whatever, and you're trying to figure out what do I believe. See, here's the thing. Motivational speakers <laughs> Motivational speakers can get you to say, you know, I never thought about it like that before. I mean, motivational speakers are good at that. So you find yourself watching TV or you watch a video, you, you find yourself going, oh yeah, that's true, and that's true, and, and and that's true. Well, listen, just because that's true and that's true and that's true doesn't necessarily mean that everything else is true, and what a motivational speaker will get you doing is he will begin to get you to nod your head yes to the things that you know are true in order to get you in the habit of nodding your head so that as he moves down the line to other philosophies that you may or may not buy into, you're prone to go, well, that must be true, when that might not be true at all. And he's just hoping that you will follow him into what you really are not all that sure about. It's just marketing. It has really nothing to do with discovering the truth. So as a culture as Americans especially, because we are so get-it-done oriented, because we are so uh, much into positive thinking, and all that's great, but because we are so progress-oriented, and we're about wealth, and we're about control, and we're about, you know, how we want to live our life as if we're in control, even though we a lot of times we aren't in control at all. The bottom line is, a lot of times, because we are products of America, and because we're all about going faster and getting bigger and having more and getting wealthier and more control and all that, we become suckers for these guys that come along and say, here's how to do it better, faster, stronger, longer, more wealthy. You listen to the radio, you listen to television, and you wonder why the ads are on there, don't you? I mean, don't you ever listen to the radio and they're hawking something and you're thinking, you know, if the product that you're selling is as good as you say it is, shouldn't you have retired and been on a beach by now? I listen to XM radio. I listen to a lot of sports talk radio. And I don't know how many thousands of times now. You remember Anthony Robbins? You know who Anthony Robbins is? The guy that used to do the infomercials about all these great philosophies, and he was going to make you this, he had all these business techniques, and he's going to make you a millionaire and all this stuff. And his thing would come on, and he would show how he's met with presidents and princes and kings and all these people, you know, and he's, he's just got all this mojo going, and you're like, Yeah, I want to be like Anthony Robbins. I want to hear what he has to say. Obviously, he knows what he's doing. That was 20 years ago, man. Anthony Robbins is still trying to get me to send me his email address so he can send me all these great business principles that will increase my, you know, whatever, my bottom line or whatever. And I'm like, Anthony, dude, isn't it time for you to retire to the beach? I mean, haven't you made enough millions of dollars? Why do you still need my email address and why do you still need my stuff? But... We're suckers for this kind of thing. Here's how to do it better. Here's how to do it faster. Here's how to be stronger. Here's how to have more security. And it's going to be amazing. That's always going to be there. That's not ever going away. Here's all I'm saying. Please leave Jesus out of it. You know, if you're going to have your philosophy and you're going to do your thing, don't try to incorporate Jesus and his way of thinking into whatever deal you've got going to to sell your product. That's just, that's ignorant. That's that's somebody who hadn't read the whole story. That's like saying, I know Brett loves going to the doctor because I saw Brett go to the doctor. Well, how do you know he likes going to the doctor? Because I saw him go to the doctor. Follow me the rest of my life, and one of the things you'll pick up on pretty quickly is I don't really like going to the doctor. I don't know anybody that really likes going to the doctor. So you can't take a, you know, that part, you can't rip that part of my narrative out of my life because I went to the doctor one time and assume that I like going to the doctor because one time or two or however, I haven't been much but 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 cuz I've been to the doctor. That's you wouldn't do that. And people do this with Jesus all the time. But what you discover if you read the gospels, if you want to have Jesus as a part of your life, Jesus had extraordinary faith, but his extraordinary faith led to extraordinary surrender. Now here's the warning. If you are considering following Jesus this morning, and I I hope you are, a big part of following Jesus is surrender. Now, That doesn't sound real fun. I mean we don't like s words like submit and surrender. We we, we don't like those kind of words. A big part of following Jesus isn't now that God loves me because I love his son, God's going to do what I want God to do. That's not a part of the story. And you think, well, that's such a downer. I mean, that breath, that's so negative. I mean, don't you have anything more positive than that to say? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But as we finish up this series, here's what I want you to hear. Faith. Biblical faith. Confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And we can ask God for anything we want to ask God for. And sometimes he says Yes. And sometimes he says no, but he has made a couple of promises. And every time you come to him, you can experience his presence. And he has promised grace and mercy. That's what we've learned in this series. That the promise of God is that whatever you're going through, when you come confidently to God, you can experience his grace and his mercy and his presence. And when you come to him and you get a no, as we discussed last week, Paul Paul had this thing that he called the thorn in his flesh. And, th- and three different times he prayed to God, God, please take this away. This, this is painful. This hurts. I don't like this. You've you got to remove this from me. Three different times he prays that prayer. And, and what we discovered is that there was a period in Paul's life where God was silent. He's not speaking to Paul. He's, he's not telling God what Paul wants to God's not telling Paul what Paul wants to hear. Or, or maybe Paul's not hearing anything at all. And then finally he comes back and says, no, no. I'm not going to remove that from you. You're you're going to have that for the rest of your life. When you get a no answer, what we're learning in this series is that you can lean heavily into the grace of God. And where he says no, where you have the most pain and the most trauma in your life, that is oftentimes the place where God shows up the biggest and he demonstrates his power more than in any other place in the weaknesses that you have in your life. And faith isn't about getting out of pain, and faith's not necessarily about escaping the circumstances of life, although that sells really big in America. Faith is simply waking up every day and saying, God, you're great, I trust you. My faith is going to be manifested today in the world as extraordinary surrender to your will. And I want to I really move in your direction. That's what great faith, what great faith looks like in the world it's great surrender. I want to read a couple of verses to you, and then we're going to read some happy verses, because we've got to include those two, and then we'll tie this whole thing up. Now, I want to just tell you, normally I love it when you bring your Bible, and I get you to open your Bible, and we all read together. I'm going to read a bunch of verses. The good news is they're all from either John or 1 John, so that's where you can kind of turn if you want to accept the challenge to try to keep up with me, but I'm just going to warn you, we're going to be in a bunch of verses today. It might be hard to follow along. You're welcome to try to follow along. I encourage that. But if not, we're going to put everything on the wall for you. And um, we're going to read a bunch of verses in John. We'll end in 1 John. And what I would tell you about John is that he was a follower of Jesus. Shortly after Jesus left, he wrote the Gospel of John. And then later on in his life, he wrote some letters that the early church got. Uh, we refer to those as First, Second, and Third John because we're really creative like that. We just, you know, that's how we roll. And then he also wrote the book of Revelation. No S, just Revelation, one Revelation. But thankfully, this preacher's not going to get into Revelation today because that's just, that's, you don't want me preaching from Revelation. So, so let's read these verses and here's all I want you to listen for. There's one central theme in what we're about to look at, okay? The central theme is this. Jesus, with all his power and all his godness and all of his faith, was not here, even though he could have, he was not here to do his own will. He was here to do the will of his Father. And and as you become or consider becoming a follower of Jesus, the authenticity of your following will be manifested not in learning better how to get God to do what you want God to do. There are plenty of philosophers out there that can help you with that. There are plenty of self-help books out there that can help you with that. There are pr- plenty of religions that you can chase down. But in Christianity, great faith looks like great surrender. That's really where we're going today. And honestly, that doesn't sell well because that's a little bit threatening. But as we're going to see in a moment, it's really the only way to go. So th- these are some things that Jesus said. I'm going to look at John chapter 5, verse 30. John 5:30. And this is Jesus talking. By myself, I can do, what's the word? Nothing. Okay, so Jesus, that, that's kind of negative, and, and if you go around saying that for the rest of your life, I can do nothing, I can do nothing, then Jesus, you're, you're never going to accomplish anything. So, you know, you, you, Jesus, you need to be more positive. But what Jesus said was, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus, wait a minute. You're not on a happiness quest. No. Well, well, Jesus, what, what are you doing here? Do you have an agenda? Do you have some goals? I mean, are there some things that you're hoping to accomplish? What are you doing here, Jesus? Jesus says, my life's pretty simple. I'm just here to figure out what God wants done, and then that's what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't do anything on my own. Well, Jesus, come on, buck up, buddy. Jesus would say, look, don't try to hijack me. Don't try to hijack my message. I'm a simple man with a simple plan. I am here to do the will of my Father. Well, Jesus, that's, that's just a little passive. And Jesus would say, well, maybe so. But I'm not here to do anything on, thing on my own. I'm here to do the will of my Father. I'm here to say what my Father says that I should say. I'm, I'm here to follow him, and that's if you're going to follow me, that's where we're going to go. So the next Verses John 12 verse 49. John 12, 49. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So Jesus, you 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 let God put words in your mouth. Is that what you're saying? You you just you kind of let God put words. You don't even have anything original to say on your own? No. But Jesus. You're Jesus. I mean, you can just talk. You're like the man, and everything you say is just so great. And Jesus says, well, maybe so, but I have not come to say my own ideas. Verse 50, I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So let me get this straight, Jesus. So You're just here to do what God says to do, and you're here to say what God says to say. Yep. That's it. Yeah. You don't have your own agenda. No, I'm a simple man. I I have a simple plan. I I do what the will of the Father is. I say what I feel like God would want me to say. And, And you hear that and you think to yourself, well, I don't know why anybody would have followed him. Why would anybody have followed him? John 6, 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven. Again, Jesus talking. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Wow, Jesus. So you you didn't initiate anything. Jesus would say, well, pretty much no. You mean you didn't come down here to kind of, I thought, Jesus, I thought you were like a rebel. No. I thought you were a troublemaker. I thought you were an extremist. No, pretty much here's how it works. I, I came to do the will of the Father. I came to do what he says to do. I came to say what he says to say. I came to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. So you're like totally under somebody else's authority. You completely take your cues from somebody else you don't have any i i you don't you don't have your own deal going you, you're not running your own thing no wow, why would anybody follow that? Why would anybody follow you Jesus? Why would anybody take anything you have to say seriously you don't have any original ideas you have no agenda. No, Jesus would say, no, I have an agenda. My agenda is to do the will of the Father, to do what he says to do and to say what he says to say. Jesus, why? Because I have extraordinary faith, and extraordinary faith has led me to a place of great surrender so that I'm willing to do what he says to do. And if there's a God who can be trusted like that, why would I start up my own agenda? Why would I want to do my own deal? It is the logical response to that kind of faith to surrender. Verse 39 And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So, this is about other people, not about you. Verse 40. For my Father's will, here it is again, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So Jesus, there's like nothing about a car in there for me. There's, this, this, the, the Father's will skips you entirely, and it, it just kind of skips over you, and it's about other people, so it's, it's selfless pretty much. Man, I don't want to do that. Why would anybody hijack what you have to say? You're like the most passive person I've ever heard in my life. You only do what God says do. You only say what God says to say, and you only accomplish the will of him who sent you. You're not doing your own deal. You have no life of your own, and yet here we are 2,000 plus years later, talking about Jesus. That's pretty good for passive, I'd say. Because here's what I know. 2,000 years from now, nobody's going to care what you're saying and nobody's going to care what I'm saying. 2,000 years from now, nobody's going to be reading the things that I wrote down. 200 years from now, people aren't going to be caring what you said or what I said or what we wrote down. Heck, 20 months from now, Nobody's really going to care what we wrote down or what we had to say. See, if we're wrestling with the authenticity of Christianity, here's the question that you have to wrestle to the ground. How did this stuff ever get out of the first century? If this is the message, if the message is, I'm just here to do the will of my Father and to say the things that he said to say and to do the things that he said to do, I'm just doing the will of the one that sent me, you ask yourself, how did that message get out of the first century? How did that become how did that become all this because that doesn't really seem plausible i mean why would we even write this down why would you follow somebody like this i mean get me a job get me something quicker help me you know help me to last longer at work give me something bigger and better make me wealthier get me something that it's going to get me more popular more money more something i'll go with that i can I can get some leverage around that, but wake up every day and do the will of the Father, the one that says this is what I want you to do and this is what I want you to say and accomplish the Father's agenda. I'm just telling you, if at any point you're going to try and intersect with Jesus' words, you have to know where he's coming from. If at any point you're going to try to leverage the words of Jesus for something that is for you and that's going to make your life better, Richer or fuller or taste better or whatever, if that's really what's going to become about or more successful, you need to understand where he was coming from because for him, it wasn't about him. Because great faith for Jesus resulted in great surrender. John 14, verse 10 The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. What? Yeah. The Father's living in me, and the Father's doing his work. So you're just like a vehicle. You're like a vessel. You're kind of like a pipeline. And, and the Father's will just kind of flows through you to, 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 to you know, do accomplish God's will. And Jesus would say, yeah, pretty much. And that's it? That's it. So here's the question. So why don't I just close right here and say, if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, raise your hand and become a follower of Jesus, and you'd go, but what about the part where you can get healed? Brett, what about the part where when you follow Jesus, everything goes great, and you get more, and you, and you the car. Brett, where's the car? Well, let me read you a few verses and tell you where that comes from. But as I read these verses, I want you to hear them in context of what Jesus has already said Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, I came to do God's will, I didn't come to say what I'm supposed to say, I came to say what God said I'm supposed to say. I didn't come to do my thing, I came to do His thing. Now with that as the backdrop, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. This is still John 14, this is verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now, preachers love this verse. I mean, you can preach that verse. Brother, let me get in preacher mode. You know, And the Lord said you got to rise up. You know. Brother, look what Jesus said. You have great faith, God's going to do great things for you. That's not what he said. Jesus healed. You could heal. Jesus walked on water, you could walk on water. Jesus raised people from the dead, you could raise people from the dead. That's not what Jesus said. The self-esteem thing in me and you rises up, and this American thing, this selfish, I want my way thing rises up in us. And I'm going, if I could just tap into that kind of power, I would become unstoppable. I could get all kinds of things to happen for me. But I'm telling you, if you hung out with Jesus and you heard him say this, that thought of, well, I'm gonna leverage all that for me, it wouldn't have even crossed your mind if you'd watched him every day of his life wake up and say, I'm here to do the will of the Father, I do what he says to do, I say what he says to say, I'm here to accomplish his will, not my will, you would not hear him say something like, Everyone who believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than, than these. And think to yourself, Well, I'm going to make that work for me. Jesus would say, You wouldn't do that. Because his followers understood when he said that, was, Look, you're going to do even greater things than me. And all that means is, as you surrender your will to the Father, your Father is going to do greater things through you than he did through me for other people and for the kingdom of God. Not for you. Not so that you can get rich or not so that you can have more or you can be healed or whatever. But there's going to be some things that he did through me, they're not going to be for your benefit. They're going to be for the benefit of other people and for the kingdom. This isn't about you coming up with a list and you saying, okay God, you promised, you promised. This is about getting on your knees and saying, okay, what's next? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? Verse 13 is even juicier. I mean, I get real fired up as a preacher about verse 13. And I will do, and he's talking to his 12 followers, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now, you got to love that, Right? you got to I will do whatever. I guarantee you we could open Bibles all across America this morning. That word is circled in Bibles all across America this morning. We like that. Whatever. Woo. That's why I came to Jesus. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You ask me for anything in my name, I'll do it. That will preach. Okay, you may not even be a preacher. I can give you that verse. You could preach that, man. I mean, that'll preach. Jesus will do anything you ask him to do. If you just have enough faith and believe in him, if you just, uh, you just believe. If you just believe, put that picture of him or her on your refrigerator and, uh, God, I'm believing for that. Put that car on your refrigerator. God, I'm just gonna believe. Have you seen the commercial where they talk about retirement and they've got the number? It's usually a seven-digit number that you're supposed to retire with. Like, that's going to happen in my world. Yeah, I'm going to retire. And they carry it around with them. Have you seen that commercial? Put that number up on your refrigerator and just believe. Because Jesus said, if you believe, you'll receive. Is that what Jesus said? And then the motivational speaker will say this, and for $14.95 in the back, I've got some resources, and we're all going to get bigger, and we're all going to get better, and it's just going to be wonderful. And it feels good, and it sounds good, but you haven't listened to the whole deal. Jesus would say, wait a minute, nobody's sitting around the campfire that night when I said all this, nobody when I said that heard in their minds, oh, I'm going to get all that, I'm going to muscle up, I'm going to be rich and... I'm going to get everything I want because what you said whatever. Jesus would say, nobody listening to me that night would have gone there. They've watched me, and they've watched me every day wake up and yield my will to the Father and say, God, I'm surrendered to you. What you say do, I'm going to do. What you say say, I'm going to say. See, this isn't about initiating or launching some new idea so that God can get involved. This is about us surrendering and us saying, God, What do you want to do in my world, in my community, in my finances? What are you up to? I'm here to do what you want me to do and say what you want me to say. I am a vessel. I am a jar of clay. I am a piece of conduit, a pipeline to do your will. I want your will to flow through me. Then later, this same John would write to a group of Christians, and he would say the same thing, only he would say it in a different way. 1 John chapter 5 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now people love this verse until they get to that part according to his will. You know, I'm all about this verse. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, and I'm like, yeah, according to his will, no. How do I get around that part? How can, I, how can I make that part go away? And you hear people say stuff like, well, why would you just pray and ask God to do stuff that God's already going to do? That doesn't make any sense. I thought prayer was, God, I have an idea, and I'd like you to get on board with my idea. I'd like for you to consider it. It might be a really good idea, God. What do you think? I thought that's what prayer was. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have have what we asked of Him. Which basically means, John would say, look, you're to be like the Savior. You're to spend your entire life trying to figure out what it is that God wants you to do and what He wants to say through you. Your whole job is to figure out who God wants loved, who God wants taken care of, what God wants accomplished. The point is, you are to spend your life trying to discern and understand God's plan for you and God's plan for the world and God's plan for the kingdom and then get in line with what it is that God wants to get done. And then God's going to do what God does and got what God wants to do. And when you're in alignment with him, he will do what he wants to do in the world, and this is the really cool part, through you. I'm telling you, if you ever get a taste If you ever get a glimpse of what it's like for God to do something for the kingdom through you because you yielded yourself to it, that's intoxicating. You won't want anything else. What an honor. What an honor to be yielded to God to where you say, God, what you want, I'm going to do that. What you say, I'm going to say that. Great faith is great surrender. Great faith sounds like this. God, what do you want to do in my life? My career, my morality, my sexuality, my finances, this debt. God, I'll do what you want me to do because I have great faith. God, I'm surrendered. I just want to do what you want me to do. See, we don't do that. Do you know why we don't do that? Because we're scared. Listen, it's scary to look at God and say, God, I will do whatever. I, I will do whatever. I like it better when I say, God, I got some stuff I need to get done, chop, chop, and if you just kind of get on it, I need your help. That's not faith. You know what that is? That's backpack God. That's what that is. That's I'm going to pick up my backpack, I've got God in there, and I'm going to carry God around in my backpack. And God, I'm going on this vacation, and I'm just letting you know that I'm going to put you down for the vacation because I don't want you to go on my vacation. Well, I got to fly so you can fly because so I, I need you for the flight. So I'm going to carry you on the flight. But you need to know when we get to the hotel, you're, I'm putting you in the closet and you're not going on vacation. And then when I'm ready to fly back, then I need you again. I'm going to put you back. I, then I need you. Now let's be honest. That's how most Americans... I'm guilty of doing that. Are you guilty of doing that? Backpack God. Some, like he's a manageable thing. What an insult to God. Listen, if you're not going to live your life like you can trust him for everything, why do you get frustrated with God when he doesn't come through for you in the one little area that you invited him into? If you're going to live like there's no God, why do you get upset when God doesn't show up as God? Who do we think we are and what have we done? And then the ultimate insult is when we come up on some new kind of way of thinking or new some new philosophy or new religion and we just say, "Well, we would we'd like to invite Jesus to be a part of our new way of thinking." It's an insult. Listen, he came as Savior who bled and died, and he didn't even have his own agenda. He just came to do what God said do and to say what God said to say. Now, you may not like that. You may not want to follow that. You may not believe that. But at least have the courtesy then to leave him out of your philosophy or your newfangled religion or this new Thing you've got going on. Don't insult him by trying to pick apart the things that he said and say, I'm going to latch on to that, but not this. He never presented himself that way. Imagine living your whole life with backpack God only to die someday and meet the real thing. (laughs) And God looks at us and says, What do you got in your backpack? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Jesus said, I'm not even going to leverage my will over the will of the Father. I want to close by saying this. If one day you're traveling along with little backpack God and life is great, and then all of a sudden the windshield of life hits you like the bug. You know what I'm talking about? when that nasty bug is all over your windshield. And life sometimes does that to us, doesn't it? There are times when you're just cruising along and you've got backpack God on and things are great. you got God in a manageable place and then all of a sudden, boom! And suddenly it's not going your way. Here's the good news. Broken people still cry out to God and He answers them. See, here's the thing. God hopes that you will come to him on your own with no provocation, with no bad thing going on in your world. God hopes that you will just come and surrender and say, God, here I am, I'm all yours. But if it takes you cruising along with backpack God and all of a sudden the windshield of life smashes you like a bug and that's what drives you to God, here's what I can tell you. When you come to God you get these things. You get the presence of God and you get grace and you get mercy. Because broken people still cry out and God hears them. That is what great faith is about. It's about being surrendered. It's about waking up every day and saying, God, I, you know, that th- you're going to use me. I don't know how you're going to use me. I, but this is what I know. I want to do what you say do. I want to say what you say to say. I want to be surrendered, and and just I want to be the conduit. In light of everything that you've done for me, I'm not God. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm just I just want to I want to I want to affect your kingdom. I want to do something good for you. That's great faith. Surrendered. In a minute, we're going to stand and sing. You're going to have a chance to give your life to Christ. If you've never done that, I want you to know what you're, what you're saying yes to if you would ever consider coming to Jesus. You're putting your will down. You're taking his will up. You're putting your agenda down, and you're picking his agenda up, and you're saying, God, you know, it's about the world. It's about your kingdom. It's about what you want. And so show me what that looks like and it's just waking up every day and saying in light of what you've done for me, God, I just want to I want to I want to glorify you as mu- as as much as it's within my power and and to do that, I want to glorify you. That's what it is. Christianity's not hard. It's not it's not hard. The concept's not hard. Living it out's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life. But when you when you get it and when you nail it and when you when you experience that Kingdom thing. It's no better place to be. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father, I give you thanks for just sticking by us when we, we don't offer you a whole lot to stick by. For loving us when we are unlovable. For putting up with our mess when we totally don't get what you're trying to say. For trying to hijack your words and make them say things that you never meant for them to say. You didn't mean it the way we take it oftentimes. Father, my prayer this morning is that we would just really be able to genuinely see how Jesus was all about your will. And he didn't have his own thing going on and he didn't do anything that that benefited him. In fact, everything he did landed him on a cross. And Father, that's who you call us to follow. Lord, it's it's there's nothing that that does not look easy. In fact, it's incredibly hard. My prayer, Father, is that every day we would be able to wake up trying to figure out how to be surrendered to you. That that is great faith, and that's what we want. And even in that, we need your help. Empower us, Father, to do your will, your way, to say your things to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.